You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. It was really good. I, I picked up on something that Tyler said just in the, um, just in the, in the notices there, that, that you're either in or you're out. I thought that was really cool. And, and it ties in with the title of what I want to share this morning, which is getting in, staying in, and being in. Um, and what that sort of means for us. I just want to pose the question, first of all, have you ever felt left out? And uh, I've got someone special who's going to share with us on the screen what it, what it felt like when you felt a bit left out. So just turn your eyes to the screen for a second. I was sharing that, uh, I showed that to Guy earlier on the, on the sound desk and he was like, oh, that's one of my favourite episodes of The Simpsons. <laughs> but maybe you shouldn't speak this morning and we'll just watch The Simpsons and it'll be great. But um, I consulted with Jesus and he said that I should speak. So, um, Have you ever felt left out? I mean, what is, what is it about the human condition, being us, that means that being in or out is, is an important thing for us, like a sense of belonging is important. How do we define ourselves as in or out in, in various situations? And what would we do if someone starts being in who we don't necessarily think should be in or we don't necessarily want to be in? See, I want to... Um, if you turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 2, there's this situation going on in the church in Galatia, and the guy who writes this, uh, this letter to the church is a guy called Paul, and he founded the church, he set up the church, and after a while, he's gone away, and things have started to go slightly differently than he thought that they were going to go. So what's happening here is he's writing a letter into that, that environment and trying to sort of sort some things out and, and explain some things. And essentially, I think what he's talking about is, is getting in, staying in and being in. These, these different th- sort of elements of what it means to be in this, this group, this, uh, this church. So there's a challenge to Paul's authority that's going on in this book. And we see Paul defending himself. Even right from the start of the book, he says that he's, he's not been sent by humans, but he's been sent from Christ. He's, he's defending himself. He starts right on the back foot, right on the defensive. Um, and there's this group that he calls um, the Circumcision Faction, which I think is a really cool name for a group. I don't know. But they're basically they, there's this group that they're, they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to um, they're trying to get the people 
in Galatia to follow certain Jewish laws and Jewish customs to identify themselves, to mark themselves as being in and being part of this group. And Paul's saying, no, you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to do any of that sort of stuff. But really, Paul's out in the cold. He goes, he goes and speaks to, to a group of them and, and they, they disagree with him. He, he, there are people there who are, who are eating with one group and not with the other group. Paul's left out in the cold. He's on his own. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you've been left out in the cold, where you thought you were in the right, but everyone else thought that you were in the wrong? See, meanwhile, there's, um, there's this other apostle that we, that we know so much about called Peter, who was there with Jesus. And, and Paul and Peter start having this argument. And, and Paul says, I opposed him to his face. You know, he kept... Eating, he was doing the one thing, eating with um, everyone, the Gentiles, with the non-Jews in the church for a while. And then these other people came in and they said, oh no, like you should be just eating with those Jews. You should just be doing like the Jewish thing. Let's all do the Jewish custom together. And Peter goes, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, I'll do that. I'll do that. I want to like please you guys. I want to be a part of this. I want to be in the in-group. See, he says... If you're living like a Gentile, when the Gentiles are around, and you're living like a Jew when the Jews are around, why are you trying to make the Gentiles live like Jews? Because you're like straddling both worlds, you're like sitting on the fence. I mean, have you ever been a Peter? Have you ever known a Peter in this situation? Have you ever done something that's maybe termed hypocritical, maybe something that speaks against one of your core values. You ever tried to please everyone? You ever tried to curry favour with certain groups to sort of push yourself up the pecking order a little bit? I remember I would, um, when I was at Bible college, there was, we, we would drive through, well, I would drive through, I lived quite a way away, and I would drive through this town and there was a gym and there was a McDonald's. <laughs> And so, and so, what I did, I joined the gym. Like, how amazing is that? I joined the gym and I was paying my money every month. I was stretching myself to join this gym. And I would go to the gym in the morning before Bible college. I'd get up really early, go to the gym, spend an hour there, like, do a swim and everything. And then uh, I'd come out and I'd drive around the corner <laughs> to, to McDonald's, to the drive through and I'd get myself... I hope my mum and dad aren't listening to the podcast here. Um, and I get myself a, um, like a, a, a McDonald's breakfast. I mean, that spoke against one of my core values. <laughs> anyway, we arrive at this, at this passage, this sort of difficult, nuanced couple of verses in, in Galatians that I want to focus on. Today, so it's Galatians two fifteen and sixteen. It says this: We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not is justified not by the works of the law, but faith, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus, so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified. By the works of the law. So that's pretty simple, isn't it? 
pretty easy. Well, I think that's particularly sort of nuanced and particularly difficult to get your head around. Paul's going in all sorts of like different directions. And so much stuff has been written about this passage and about this idea of, of what it means to be justified. I mean, is this all about getting in? Is this all about like how we get ourselves into sort of this relationship with God? Is that what's going on? But I want to pose a question or a couple of questions this morning. See, what if this is more a story about staying in than it is a story about getting in? Or further, what if this is a story about being in? What if it's about how we mark ourselves as being a member, as being a part of God's kingdom? See, there's these people who are saying to the church in Galatia, this Jesus guy is really great and you, you should really get to know him and he's really cool and he's really awesome, but he doesn't change anything. We still have to do the things that we always had to do. We still have to do these works of the law, as Paul puts it. See, that doesn't mean you don't have to be circumcised. That doesn't mean you don't have to follow all the laws about food. It doesn't mean you don't have to observe the Sabbath. I think the guys, the Gentile guys, would be quite pleased with Paul writing this letter and saying, actually guys, you don't have to be circumcised, it's fine. I know I would. But you see, these, what they're saying is these are the things that mark us as being in, as being part of this group. And I want us to, we're going to travel like right back to the Old Testament, um, which is something I do like really rarely, but it's, it's cool nonetheless. Um, and see, if we notice that Paul says at the start of this passage, we are Jews, we Jews know. So we're Jews, as in the people he's talking to. So as a result, we know that a person is justified by faith, not all these extras. I mean, that sounds kind of different to the, to the way that I always understood it when I was younger. I mean, the Jews know that they were justified by faith. Is that really what's going on there? But I mean, Paul's saying... These things, these food laws, this Sabbath observance, this circumcision, marks you out as essentially as being a Jew, but it's not what justifies you. See, what if God's grace had always been at work? What if this language that Paul uses about justification was trying to serve a different purpose? What if Judaism was not a religion based on earning your salvation at all. Judaism in the first century, it's the time that, that we're, we're talking about, that's the time that Paul was writing into, was what's known as, and still is known as, a covenantal religion, not a works-based religion. See, this means a few things. This means that God had chosen Israel. God gave them the law. God promised to maintain their election, promised to maintain the covenant. God required obedience. God rewarded that obedience and punished sins. God provided a way of atonement or a way of maintaining the covenant, a way back in. 
and God saves those who were inside the covenant. I mean, I don't know if you noticed in that section there that every sentence started with God. Everything started with God making the first move and man responding to that first move. God making the move of grace and man responding to that move of grace. See, God takes the initiative to overcome human sin and human wrong and provides the means of grace for restoration and bringing back into the covenant relationship, into that covering of God. See, in all cases, these worshippers are justified by faith. That is to say that they are shown to be part of the covenant people by faith in God's plan for redemption. I don't know if that sounds kind of familiar. You see, and they had this system of sacrifice, and we read so much about this system of sacrifice and all these rituals and all this stuff that they did in, in the Old Testament times. And there, there were sacrifices for various things. There were essentially three um, sin types that there were sacrifices for. So that was the inadvertent sin that an individual would commit. So maybe something like um, accidentally being around when there was a dead body around and that made you unclean and you would you'd be counted as sinful because of that. There was a sacrifice for that. There was a way to deal with that. And there was the corporate sins that were inadvertent. So that was, that was maybe something that the whole nation did that they didn't mean to necessarily do but it put them outside of the covenant relationship with God. But there was a sacrifice for that. There was a way back in for that. And there was the corporate sins that were willful. The stuff that you did, that the, that the whole community did on purpose, that put them outside of the covering of God. So that was maybe when um, the Israelites created a golden calf and started worshipping that. And they, they were entirely outside of the covenant relationship with God. But there was a, there was a sacrifice for that. There was something that could be given for that that would put them back into the protection of God. But in the Old Testament, there's no sacrifice for the willful sin of the individual. The act of defiance, the thing where I go, you know what God, I know what you've said, but I'm not going to listen to that, I'm going to do this. I don't know if we've ever been in that place. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. (laughs) See, in the Old Testament there's this word... I'm going to get us to say it because it's a cool word. And it's repeated um, and it's there like all over the place. And it's represented God's grace, represented his mercy, his loving kindness, his obligation and commitment to his covenant relationship with his people. Pretty cool concept. That word is chesed. Can we all say chesed together? Chesed. I thank you all for your amazing Hebrew um, renditions there. I'm going to drop the, the little beginning bit and just say hesed, because that's easier for us to get our heads around. But this word hesed, it was something that you could appeal to if you'd committed a sin that put you outside of the covenant, put you outside of the relationship with God that you couldn't bring a sacrifice for, because there was no sacrifice for that. You see, there's, there's this passage in the Old Testament, there's a psalm in the Old Testament, Psalm 51, 
And King David's talking, he's, he's writing when he, after his whole um, situation, shall we call it, with Bathsheba, and everything that went on there, the affair, the, the killing, the, just all the stuff that put him smack bang outside of God's covenant. He says these words. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your hesed. You see, we, we further see that in this instance, later on in the psalm, he says, you don't delight in sacrifice. It doesn't bring you anything. If I could offer you a sacrifice, I would bring it. And he's saying this, I've put myself outside of the covenant. There's no way that I can get back in. I want to get back into this relationship. And God, I know you're a gracious God and I know you can forgive me of this and I know you can bring me back into your covenant. Please do it. Please, in view of your grace, your steadfast love, your mercy, bring me back into this relationship with you. See, David has to appeal to the grace of God to his hesed and ask for forgiveness. And you see, what happens is God displays his grace to David. I mean, we see that he goes on to be one of the greatest kings, the greatest king, perhaps, of, of the Old Testament era. God clearly displays his grace to him. You see, this, this word, this hesed, is something, it's a characteristic of God that is able to step outside of the rules, of the covenant, of the law in miraculous grace and restore those whose deliberate sins have placed them at odds with the covenant relationship. But I wonder if this grace extends further. See, we have to remember that there's a difference between ritual and an attempt to earn favour. I don't think that the Israelites were going round spending all their time trying to earn favour with God. I don't think that they they were spending all their time going, if I could just be a good enough person, I could get into this relationship with God. See, God had chosen them. God had called them. He'd set them apart as his people. That's what the whole covenant with Abraham was all about. They weren't trying to grasp at a relationship with God that God had set the bar too high for. What they were doing was they were doing these rituals. They were following these these works of the law, as Paul put it in Galatians, in response to his hesed, in response to his grace. See, even in this ritual sacrifice, they couldn't earn God's favour in that way. God's favour was offered as a result of his grace. God's favour was offered as a result of the covenant that he'd established with the Israelites. Almost as if he'd said that he would do this, and he did. Which is good news. See, God was not obliged by the acts of humans. But God reached in and offered a way for the relationship to be made whole. See, this is a covenant, covenantal religion, not a works-based religion. It's one that's entirely dependent on grace. It's pretty cool. See, perhaps 
salvation is based on God's redeeming act. Perhaps it's God that stepped in and changed the course of history. Perhaps God, who'd done all this stepping in, on, in the one hand for the Israelites, didn't change his pattern of behaviour when he opened up the, the sort of covenantal relationship to the whole of the world. Perhaps he didn't change his pattern of behaviour in, in stepping in and causing the first action. Perhaps he just did the same thing. Perhaps he acted in the same way that he's always acted. Perhaps he acted in grace. Perhaps this faith that we place into Jesus Christ is the appropriate response that marks someone who's been justified. Perhaps Christianity is more about what we're being saved for than what we're being saved from. See, God's grace has always been at work. I wonder if God is maybe less concerned about how you get in and more concerned about how you show that you are in. Paul uses this word that we've talked about, which sort of expresses what it means to be in what it means to be part of this community. And that word is justification. In the Old Testament, we've seen that it, co- it comes through God's redeeming act, God's redeeming action, and by his grace, not by the things that mark the community. They're things that, that mark the community, but they're entirely separate of God's act. They're, is, they're a response. In other words, we see this justification by faith and not by the works of the law. God's response that, that vindicates people, God, a God that says, my verdict is not guilty, is on the basis of faith and not on the basis of all these other things. So what's Paul doing here? Is he saying that the identity marker, the way of showing that you are in, is not by doing the works of the law, it's not by keeping the Sabbath, It's not by following these food laws. It's not by circumcision. It's about the faithful death and resurrection of Christ. And our participation in that. Be that through the ritual of baptism, the ritual of communion, or simply a declaration that Jesus is Lord. You see these words, these ritual words, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not inherently a bad thing. Because it's a, it's a natural response to the grace that God's shown us. It's not saying we're doing something in order to get in. It's saying we're doing this because we recognise that we are in. And this is what people who are in do. This is what people who are in live like. This word justification is less about getting in or staying in. It's more about declaring what it's like to be in. See, I wonder if when we make the death and resurrection of Jesus an act of personal salvation, we miss the full extent of his grace. When we make it all about me, do we miss the full extent of what he was doing? You see, Jesus' death and resurrection is 
victorious over sin and death. Big sin, big death. It's victorious over it all. It's not just for me. It's a move of grace from God towards his people. Have we seen that pattern before somewhere? See, God makes the first move. God marks his people as his people. And he says, you know what, guys, you're all welcome. You're all part of it. You can all join in. So this is the same move of grace that we see in the Old Testament. And we see it now in the New Testament. And it's alive and well today. So how do we respond to God's first move? Is our response repentance? Is our response participation? I remember um, reading this quote and I've, I've used it uh, various times and I'm going to try it off the top of my head so it's probably going to go spectacularly wrong but we'll try it anyway. It goes something like um, repentance is not something I do in order to become saved but it's something I do in response to the grace that God's given me. And I think that's a really cool quote. And I got it slightly wrong. So I'll look it up at some point and I'll probably, I'll probably put it on, I'll probably correct it when I put it on Facebook later or something, but you know. But do you think we join with Christ in his death and resurrection? We're going to have a baptism service next week. And is that not what that whole symbolism is about? Joining with Christ in his death and resurrection and being raised up to new life. I mean, it's a beautiful symbol that shouldn't be reduced to just a sign, just, a, just an outward expression of something that's going on inside, but is a beautiful expression of this is who we are and this is what it means to be part of this community. We participate with Christ. We're grafted into the vine, says in John. See, we're called children of God because of Christ's self-sacrificial act. Jesus came to deal with sin. Our sins are symptomatic of the problem. You see, Christ deals with the problem of evil once and for all. So it's not about processing each individual person's um, law court case, this language of justification. That's not what it's about. It's more about responding to the grace that God's given us and sharing in that. In other words, it's... It's about becoming participants in Christ's faithful death and resurrection more than it is about saying a once and for all prayer. I guess this makes the Christian life less about a moment of conversion and more about a process of renewal and a process of restoration that leads to resurrection ultimately. You know, there's these, there's these little phrases that are spattered all, all around the Bible, especially in the New Testament, about be being saved. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. I don't think that's about getting in. Somehow. I think that's about how we act when we are in. And how do we do all this? Because of grace. See, these works of the law that, that Paul's chatting about, they were never a way in. But they were a way of 
working out their faith and showing that they are in. That's how James can say that faith without works is dead. Not because he's disagreeing with Paul, not because he's having an argument, but because he's saying that there's a way in and there's a way of being in. And being in requires you to do something. It requires you to get up and serve the people who need to be served and help the people who need to be fixed, get help and care for the brokenhearted and aid in people's healing and restoration and renewal. You need to be a part of that. I think that's what's going on more than an argument about how you get in. See, it's not an attempt to secure my personal ticket to heaven. If that's all it was, then what are we doing here? It's joining of ourselves with the true kingdom. With the kingdom of God through which the world is put to rights. The world is renewed. The world is restored and transformed. See, the Christian, the one who's in Christ, we can fully relate to the Father as a fully real expression of what it means to be human by the Spirit. See, we're the one who is no longer subject to the flesh, but has died to the flesh and now lives only by the Spirit. That's why Paul addresses his letters to the holy people. At the start of Paul's letters, he always says to the holy in Greek. There's no the structure of it. This entirely doesn't matter, but I've started saying it now anyway. The structure of it, there's no word that they would put there for people. It's to the holy. So sometimes in some Bibles we get to the saints. Sometimes we get to the holy ones. Sometimes we get to the holy people. It's all the same thing. It's not a changing of the word. It's just there's no direct way of translating that into English. So Paul is directing his his letters to the holy people and then he's telling them about all the terrible things that they're doing I wonder I mean what does that say about holiness does it say that it's something to aspire to something to attain something to reach out to something to grasp onto or is it a statement of truth about who we are because of Christ See, if you're in Christ, you're set apart for his purposes. Sometimes we don't live that way. Sometimes we pay lip service to the flesh. Sometimes we want to be soaring up in the air and we crash land. And it goes, up, it goes wrong. But that doesn't mean that we're in a constant battle for assurance of our salvation. That just means that we get stuff wrong sometimes. See, God in Christ defeated sin and death. He altered the trajectory of the cosmos. The whole way of the universe was altered and transformed by Christ's redeeming action for the world. Sin is no more. Its symptoms are still felt. I know that in my life. Hopefully I'm not the only one who knows that. Well, no, hopefully I am, actually. <laughs> but probably I am I'm not the only one who knows that. 
See, symptoms are still felt. The world, though, is being put to rights. The world is being restored. That's why we get this image in Revelation right at the end of the Bible. Not of some far off ethereal heaven, but of a new heaven and a new earth. Of a new Jerusalem descending out of heaven. Not, not of the depravity and destruction and, and death of man, but of restoration, of resurrection, of rebirth, of new life, of renewal. We see a restored Eden, what, one, what went on right in the beginning of the Bible. We see almost, um, I want to say parodied, but that's the wrong word. But we see it restored and renewed You know, what God once said was good, in the end, he can again say, is good. So we're not vying for a ticket out of here. We've signed up to something different. We've signed up to a kingdom that says, come and help restore this world, this broken world, this messed up world. Let's Take a step towards restoring that. Let's take a step towards what God's plan is. You know, perhaps God's plan for your life is less about the exact nature of of whether you should, you know, buy a red car or a blue car. Or whether you should work in this office or that office. But it's more about whether you should be involved in his kingdom. Be involved in restoring the earth or not. See, may we be less concerned about getting in and more concerned about what it looks like to be in. I don't know if you want to come and help me, Tom. Maybe, no, no you don't. Tyler, you can play guitar. (laughs) May we be less concerned about getting in and more concerned about what it looks like to be in. Maybe we are here for a reason. Maybe we are here for such a time as this. Maybe God's putting things in place for a purpose. And maybe that purpose is to show people what it's like to be in. To say, hey look, this is really cool, you should be a part of this. Or however, whichever language you would use to say that. Perhaps mine is not like what everyone would use I wonder if that's maybe what the gospel is I wonder if that's what when Paul talks about good news is he talking about good news for us or is he talking about bringing about this good news does it stop with the death and resurrection of Jesus and become a ticket to heaven or is it about life in all its fullness Is it about welcoming other people into the kingdom? Is it about restoration? Is it about something that's much bigger than our personal salvation? If we make it about that, are we shrinking God's ultimate plan for restoration of the world? I mean, I don't want to be the person who shrinks God's plan and says, oh, it's just about this. I don't want to be the one who's blinkered and says, oh, you know, it's, it's just about this. If you could just say this prayer and never talk to me ever again, that would be amazing. 
I want to be the person who says, come in and be part of my life. Be part of my church. Be part of my week. Be part of my mealtimes. Share life with me. Do things together with me. Because you're not getting a ticket to heaven. You're getting a new family. You're being part of a kingdom. You're being part of something that is bigger than we could ever ask or imagine. Now, what does it look like to be marked as in? Does it look like participation? Does it look like love? Does it look like compassion or care for others? What is it to know that you're not left out in the cold? That through God's grace, through his hesed, there's a place for you at his table. What is it to know that you're loved just as you are, but loved so much that God says, don't stay like that. There's a better way for you. There's a, you know, it might be tough. It might be really difficult. We might go through some terribly hard times, but I can see the other side. I can see what it's like over there. And you should come with me on this journey to go over there because if you stay here, you you can't stay here anymore. You know, you've met this guy who's saying, don't stay, just don't stay here. I know, I know you thought that was really good, but you've not seen over there. You've not seen what it's like over there. Why don't you stand with me? just going to sing a song and I don't know what that song's going to be but just while we're in we're in this atmosphere, we're in this time, we've got a time to think and a time to reflect and um, contemplate I just want to say these few things as we leave this morning may we know that we're in may we know that we can invite others to join us may we know that being in it's not just a status it's not just about getting in it's about living life in all its fullness in all its wonder in all its beauty it's about getting over there to this place of restoration, of renewal, of transformation that God's called us into. As we consider that it's not just about getting in or staying in, but it's truly about being in. Let's pray. You are mighty, you are holy, you are high and lifted up. Your majesty is displayed across the universe. But God, we recognise this morning that you stepped in. Again and again you stepped in and you're stepping in. And you're calling each and every one of us to a life that's 
that's not just about escaping here, but it's a life that's about responding to your steps into what we are. It's a life about journeying with you, with the God of the universe who calls his creation his sons and daughters, who loves us intimately, who's singing over us, who's declaring that you are the holy people. Not that you could attain that, but that that's a status that I have given you. why don't we respond this morning why don't we respond in in singing in sitting in kneeling in prayerful reflection on this God that that loves us so much loves us so intimately and deeply why don't if you if you want prayer this morning why don't you come down to the front We're just going to take a little bit of time now to just just reflect on this on this God who shows us grace, who shows us mercy, and who loves us. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church, one church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.